What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 146 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Dan Gibbons and Dan Cresamano. They go by Two Dans in a Van or 2DComedy.com. They are two gentlemen who have built out a van and are going around the 50 states of the United States of America and trying to hit as many comedy clubs as possible to launch their comedy careers. I really love this episode and get super inspired by these two guys because, again, they're just living it. They put it all on the line to chase their passion, chase their dream of becoming two professional stand comedians, and they're doing it in a really unique, cool way. I can totally see from like a marketing perspective how season one, you know, doing comedy in all 50 states is really cool. And not only, you know, are they cutting their teeth and developing their craft, but at the end of the time frame in which they're working in, they have 50 states under their belt, a lot of footage, a lot of street cred, and that could be a marketable, saleable entity on any platform, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Netflix, whatever it may be. And then season two is Europe, maybe. Like Dan Gibbons at one point talks about, you know, going to Germany and doing stand up in the German scene in German, which I think is a great that could be season two, you know, all over Europe, hitting the, the hot expat comedy clubs all over Europe. And that would be another very marketable, cool way to sell your comedy and again, continue to develop your skills. If you're a first-time listener, please do me the favor of pulling out that phone and whatever you're listening to this podcast on, just hitting that subscribe button. And if after this episode is over, you like what you hear, I would love a five-star rating. That would mean the world to me. That really helps me in iTunes and Spotify and all the rating systems that they have. Just getting my message out there, that positive, inspirational message of the Dans and all the previous guests I've had before them of you know, really just going after what they want and designing their dream life. So I really hope you enjoy this episode with two Dans in a van, 2D comedy. These guys are rad. They're living it day-to-day, full-time comedians on the road, trying to make their dream into a reality. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with two Dans in a van. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I am joined by two Dans in a van, two traveling comedians going around the country, chasing their dream. Just a lovely topic that I love to bring into these episodes of people really going after what they want in life. Dan's, welcome to the show. Well, glad to have us, man. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's uh, last week I got to talk with uh, Scheme Supreme, which is a trio of gentlemen who are building a van and trying to do the exact same thing you are. So I thought it'd be a nice segue into this episode where people like yourselves to growing men who are going around the country doing stand-up and, and trying to make your dream come true. How did uh, how long ago did you guys start this? We started to go uh, probably one year ago from today. Sometime mid-July yeah. 2018, we began the whole process of getting the van and getting everything moving. So did you guys buy a shell of a van or did you uh, buy it completely built out? We bought uh, a used van that had, I think, like 150,000 miles on it. But it was like a cargo van, and then we built it out ourselves. And what kind of, what brand was it, just out of curiosity? Yeah, yeah. It was um, Ford Transit. Ford. Okay, cool. Do you guys have a YouTube channel? 
Uh, we do not have a YouTube channel at the moment, but that's something that we do plan on launching in the future. The only reason I ask is because I've been on YouTube now for quite some time and I do this like surf instruction online. I have my videos up and I get advertisements and I get absolutely zero money from this. I've been doing this like four years, right? <laughs> However, I have friends who started a year ago and they drove down to Panama in their Ford truck and they post videos on YouTube and they're averaging like 150 to $200 a month passive income because there's so many truck nerds out there who just want to see a Ford truck driving through like a Mexican river or something like that, that they click on the ads and like, which leads to more residual income. I'm just thinking if you guys got a Ford van and you're doing what you're doing, like it could be some nice passive income. Yeah, we definitely need to do that. I even, I've looked out the window right now. It's not even a Ford van. I totally misremembered what it was. It's a Ram ProMaster. So we couldn't even do that cool side hustle that you just described. <laughs> That's even better. I think Dodge Rams are actually kind of known for just the durability. And a lot of people who do the Central American drive prefer the Dodges, to be honest. Oh, well, we got to do that because right now it's just hemorrhaging money through that van. <laughs> is it really? Is it a, is it a lemon? No, it's not too bad, but like there's been a couple like I think the side door fell off at one point. We had to put that back on and wheel blew off and <laughs> it's been exciting. Jesus Christ, when you were driving a wheel blew off? No, that wasn't that extreme, but we definitely like parked and then we came back and it was like totally deflated and then, you know, Geico and all that good stuff. Damn, dude. So you've been at this a year now, correct? We've been on the road probably about six months now we started this trip at the beginning of january 2019 so we bought the van last year we built it out we did a couple small weekend trips but full-time road life it's been six seven months now okay cool and since you're both dan we, we agreed pre-show that i'd use your last name just to help the audience kind of understand who i'm speaking to so i'll start with dan gibbons dan what were you doing professionally before you quit everything to chase the dream of becoming a comedian so before I became a comedian, I was working in clinical research for medical devices. Um, prior to that, what I had been doing was teaching English abroad. So I was, in, I was in China, I was in Japan, and I had studied abroad in Germany, and I had learned these languages. So it wasn't like a conventional entrance into clinical research, obviously, but what I did was more as a liaison to call hospitals in each of these locations to make sure that their clinical trials were being ran efficiently and communicating with doctors and all that fun kind of <laughs> trial management stuff. And I am kidding when I say fun. So this is interesting, actually. So you picked up three languages. You picked up Japanese, Chinese, and German. Well, German, I started in middle school uh, and I continued all through college. I started Chinese in college and then I just did Japanese when I was there. So, yep. Wow. Good for you, man. Very impressive. And then Dan Cresimano, how about you? What did you do professionally before you decided to hit the road? Uh, programming. Went to school for programming. Uh, a lot of math and computer science and started a company with my two high school friends called Commit Swimming. Um, it's basically just sort of like machine learning for athletes, for swimmers. Interesting. How, how's that going? Because that's kind of similar to what I do with the online surf instruction. I mean, did you guys monetize that through courses or what was that about? So for us, the model is sort of uh, freemium. We go coaches. So coaches will buy a platform, web and mobile app. They'll write their workouts in a subscription-based model. Interesting. It sounds like you still have your hands in that and making some money from that. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Okay. Ooh, that's cool. So, are you? So then you kind of are able to fund yourself uh, through that still for this adventure. And then how about Dan? You are just you kind of quit and saved up a bunch of money. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the the skills that I have aren't necessarily as easy to do remotely as programming. So I just saved up some money, and then any money that we can get from shows, just sock it away. Try to hold on to it for as long as possible. 
Roger that. When uh, you were doing the whole teaching, I'm assuming you're teaching English in Asia, is that correct? Yeah, I used to teach English and German. And, oh, and German in Asia. Yep. So you taught Asian kids German? They were interested in learning German? I actually didn't teach children. Everybody that I taught in Asia were working professional adults. Um, most of them were relocating to the U.S. or the England, Australia, somewhere in the Anglosphere. And it was mainly business-related courses, like how they could communicate and sort of cultural aspects as well. So I dealt with people, yeah, primarily preparing for a long-term trip to the U.S. or Germany, just how to speak those languages. Very cool. Um, did you like those cultures? Was that something that you, have, you thought you'd ever want to get back to, maybe like live full-time as an expat? Yeah, for sure. What got me out there originally, like I started um, Chinese in college and I just thought to myself, well, there's no way I'm actually going to get this language under my belt if I just learned it in rural Pennsylvania. Like there's just no way it's going to happen. So I just, as soon as I graduated, I moved out to China and I lived there for a while and, uh, you know, that led to Japan. So both of these are really good and I could definitely see myself being back in the expat community at some point. But for right now, I definitely focus on just this U.S. trip. What part of China were you in? So I was in Beijing. But I did get to travel basically all all throughout China. Right on, and then and Japan. Where did you live in Japan? Tokyo. Okay. Yeah, but it's hard around from the capitals. And then culture, they're quite different, right? Did you have one culture that you kind of felt more affection for? Because I mean, Chinese are kind of more in your face. Japanese a little bit more reserved. Would you say that's a true kind of stereotype? <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that's that's definitely accurate. And it is always like the, the grass is always greener kind of thing. Because when I was in China, I was like, man, I wish maybe, you know, sometimes the people were less in your face. And then you get to Japan and you'd be like, man, everyone's so quiet. So it's like there's definitely truth to both of those. Yeah. Did you date both cultures? Uh, I dated in China and I dated the same girl all throughout Japan as well. So I, I can't claim both cultures now. Okay. Yeah, I had a friend uh, who kind of did the same thing as you and, and found that he appreciated just actually the lack of reserved into females in uh, China compared to Jap Japan. That's that's for sure. Like People are a lot more laid back in China. So they're a lot more, I don't know, I'm not going to say they're more fun than the Japanese, but you can definitely kind of get in and become tighter quicker, I'd say. Yeah. Now, Dan, Chris Monolek, did you ever go abroad and, and do any big travel trips? I speak uh, one language, almost. Um, it's just really hard to follow Dan in the language train. It's like, yeah, I was in Japan and China. What did you do? It's like, like Pennsylvania. Uh, no, the first time I even left the country was Medellin, uh, which happened, like I guess, four months ago, and that was super fun. So not nearly as cool. No, it's fine, dude. I'm, I'm just curious because... Um, you know, as you are getting around America doing your thing and hopefully, you know, this, this takes off for you pretty soon. Like the world is your oyster when it comes to comedy and there's a lot of markets out there, especially the Asian market that is blowing up right now. I mean, so after you tasted the Medellin experience, are you interested in traveling? Cause some people aren't really that into it, you know? Uh, man, I loved it. We were down there. Honestly, it was a little scary cause everyone would just come up to me in the street in Medellin and be like, you look like Fidel Castro. So that was like sort of my look when I was down there. Uh, I'm looking forward to, like, honestly, even Canada. Like, there's so much good comedy spots in Canada. And in England, obviously, it's pretty huge. And then as you go west, it just gets, like, I don't even know if they're stand-up in Russia. But that'd be cool to find out. So, like, for season two, after we do all 50 states, it'd be cool to just go to Europe and sort of just blast through Ireland and Spain and just sort of get them all done. Yeah, so you just said season two. And I know your website is 2dcomedy.com. So you're, you're – 
tracking this season one, which is you know around the fifty states as you go to these comedy clubs, and that'll be season one. Are you going to put that in video form? Yeah, we sort of like when we made this plan. We just you know we're talking one night and we're like, hey, there's fifty two weeks in a year and there's fifty states. Wouldn't it be cool to just do like a state a week and sort of get it done? And then sort of like half jokingly, I'd refer to it as season one, and season two would just be like whatever we do after this. Um, so I don't think we're going to release like a season worth. There's like chopped up video clips that we've been putting out on Instagram and whatnot. Um, but there's no actual real season. Um, but yeah, no interesting model. Cause I mean, that's something I would say that you could probably sell to Netflix if you really like, uh, curated it correctly. Or we're going to do that right now, as well as the <laughs> Ford side hustle. I want to do that one. <laughs> Everyone's got a million great ideas, right? And then implementing it was just a whole fucking different story. Um, can you guys talk about your passion for comedy? I mean, what is it? What got you into it? How long have you been into it? Can you also just tell the audience how old you each are? Sure, I can start. This is Dan Gibbons. Um, I am 29 years old. I've been a huge fan of comedy probably my whole life. Uh, the origin story to being a funny kid, quote unquote, is I was a big fat kid. So it was sort of like the be funny or die mentality. The fat childy kids. <laughs> I've always just been making jokes and whatever. Um, been doing comedy now two years, just over two years, I'd say. And yeah, I guess. Just real quick with that follow-up question, um, you know, why did it take you so long to jump in? I mean, to get up on stage and actually give it a go. Man, I wish I knew the answer. Like, I, it just took so long. I just, I always would say, oh man, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do shows or I'm gonna do this and that. And I, like in college, I did one or two open mics, but it just, I guess, nerves, fear. I didn't know anybody in the comedy scene. I didn't know how to get there, who to ask, uh, any of that stuff. It just took a long time. And then in Asia, I'd seen a couple of comedy shows at expat bars. And I was like, oh, this looks awesome. This looks like something I could do. But again, I didn't know anybody in the crew. So it just took a while to gain the courage to go up and ask people and just really jump in. How do you feel about it now? I mean, do you find you still get nervous before you go up on stage? Sometimes get nervous before I get on stage. But I mean... Um, you know, just in terms of going up and asking people, Hey, can we get on the show? Can we do this? It's really, the nerves are gone now, now that we've done it enough. We, you know, we get on stage several times a week. So the more, like anything, the more you do it, the more callous you become. And it's, yeah, now it's easy. That's rad. How about you, Dan? Gosh. Um, I was really like stand up even as a kid. I remember watching, um, a bunch of specials. Um, but it was sort of just on the bucket list. I didn't really think I would do it. And then, you know, sort of started to commit and was like, what's next? What's the nice thing? And sort of going through and got up one night and had a good set and felt good about it. And it's like everything else. Like you do it once, you dip your feet in, you're like, this is cool. Like this is really cool. And then the more, the better you get at it, the more enjoyable it becomes. Like the first time you're very in your head and you want to like just dive out the window before going on. And then after your, you know, 200 show, you're like, oh, this is fun. Like I can be myself. Uh, so yeah, it's like everything else, obviously. Did you freestyle it when you went up for that first time or did you already? No, I super overprepared. Like I'm, I'm not the guy that just goes up and riffs about the weather. Um, that's not my style. Like I wrote all my shit out, almost borderline memorizing it. And then now it's like become more loose and you can interact more and you're not like giving a presentation almost. Um, so yeah, that's rad. Can you I'd like we did this last episode, which I thought was great. Can you describe Dan Gimmons, um style of comedy for the audience? Um, 
Yeah, I would say that uh, stuff that we do is sort of self-deprecation. We make fun of ourselves, and we, we find things that are kind of topical in the news, point out the absurdities in that. So mainly, I think, um, at least personally, my, my sense of humor would just be critical. Like, I would find something that's widely beloved or people like and then find holes to poke in it because it's fun to see people squirm or be like, oh, that's something I've never thought about. So that's basically what I would say is like sort of just – I don't know, find the hole in something and exploit that and try to make it funny as possible. Would you agree with that, Dan? Do you think you have the same style? Totally. I would have slightly different probably. More like personal narratives for me and then, I don't know. It's hard to describe your own style. Observational. Mm -hmm. Well, Dan Gibbons, can you describe his style for the audience? Yeah, Dan's style, let's see. I think it's pretty similar. He, he, He points out things about himself, makes fun of that. Um, and he also likes to point out the absurdity in certain things. So I'd say that yeah, we're pretty similar. Um, I think like our, our styles are similar. Our delivery maybe is more different. Like I'm, I'm sort of more deadpan, whereas Dan is more animated. But stylistically, we're the same. It's just that sort of d- delivery that I say where we would diverge a bit. Do you guys run by each other like your your bits before a show, or like when you're driving, you guys constantly just like running over material? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Dan knows all my material. Dan could probably go up and do my set. I could. Yeah, and I could probably do his just blindfolded, just because you've heard it so much. Like, um, but absolutely, when you're hashing out new ideas, I'll bounce them off Dan for sure. Oh uh, yeah, I get that. Um, just hanging out with Magenta, I could probably do her set for. <laughs> right. Totally. And so with with you both, um, I mean. There's a, is there like a little bit of competition too? Like, because you both are striving for the same thing. Like what happens if one of you gets approached after a show and says like, we want to give you a Netflix special. <laughs> What's going to happen there? I think there's zero competition. Frankly, it's like, I'm, I know dance for forever. And it's like, if either one of us makes it, he just like grabs the other one. You know what I mean? It's like, it's almost like a different level when you live with someone in a van. Cause I have to sort of trust Dan with my life on a daily basis. So, yeah, I'm not too concerned about if we're both going the same direction, I guess, to answer your question. That's um, rad. I like that. I like that philosophy. Yeah. What's what's you know, one for all for one, what's good for you is good for me. Yeah, That's cool. cool. Um how many more states do you guys have left? Fourteen? Fourteen, yeah. I think fourteen states left. And then do you have like a handful or even one that you found the comedy scene to be the coolest in, the ones the like the places that you've enjoyed the most? I think this is such a hard one to answer because um you're obviously biased by how well you did in that state so like you have a monster set and you're like this state is great (laughs) and uh but obviously i met magenta in miami i think miami scene is really cool i really like nashville i really liked uh san diego i thought dallas and fort worth were really good i'm just like naming cities that stick out in particular in my head portland was ridiculously cool um and then there's a couple that we haven't been to yet. Like I think Chicago is going to be great. Um, but those are the ones that sort of stand out in my mind as like, oh, fucking awesome scenes there. That's right. How about you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, those those were also great. Um, I would add like Phoenix and Tucson seemed really tight. The comedians were all really supportive and welcoming. Um, Los Angeles was fun just for the sheer size of it. And they had sort of a different take. Like their mics, they had a, what's called a slotted system which is where you could actually sign up for the shows you want to do instead of just sort of showing up and hoping to get on. So I liked the organization in Los Angeles. Um, 
but yeah, like Dan, there's some that are just, you know, across the across the states. Um, you find good scenes that you wouldn't expect, so it's been awesome so far. No doubt. And then this question's for you, Dan Cresimano. Like, with just knowing Magenta and, and hearing her sort of critique on the various scenes, because she came out here recently, did some some stand up stuff in L.A. Um, she talked a lot about the the Miami scene being like super critical on the and like highly competitive in like a sort of mean spirited way, <laughs> and where the, the L.A. scene was like way mellow, where everyone was super supportive and like you did great, and like here's a, here's a show I'm going to if you want to tag along. Would you say that's tr an accurate sort of assessment? And and have you found that sort of thing happening in various places around the country in different comedy scenes? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's that's the question that I wanted to answer when I started. I was like, really, like, how different is it in other cities versus Philly? Um, and I think, at least also in Magenta's case, like, that's her home city. Like, Philly is also very competitive, filled with a bunch of really good comics that, you know, are kind of fighting for stage time and whatever. And as soon as you go on the road, you're sort of out of any city's drama. So for us, it's always a party when we're away from home, right? It's like, when I'm in Miami... People are like, hey, that's a great set. Like, you should do this show. Me and Dan did a show. Uh, Manny put us on somewhere, and it was great. And so you're just not caught up really in the drama of it. So every place is better than home is really the sad truth. I feel like, you know, if I lived in a different place. When we were in L.A., we had a fucking great time. Mm -hmm. um, and L.A. is known to be, you know, a competitive comedy scene. So I, I guess I would agree in that every <laughs> – it's kind of sad, really. It's like – yeah, just travel more because then you aren't really caught up in your scenes like nonsense. People are really welcoming, at least, of outsiders in that sense. No, that's a great answer. Yeah, it's kind of like that that crab theory. Like when you're in your hometown, all the, the your friends who are crabs are trying to keep you there and keep you down so you don't like go and like, succeed faster than they do. Are you doing stand-up in L.A.? Me? Yeah, yeah. You said I thought you were talking with Magenta and you were doing sets – she as was. Well. She was. I don't know. No, I just. I'm interested in the craft. I think the psychology of building a joke and then the control. You know, watching her and then watching other comedians around the world because I travel a lot. Like I spend a lot of time in the Bangkok comedy scene, just watching my friends. Um, and you can. It's just. It's so surgical in the way they manipulate the crowd in their minds. I think it's kind of mesmerizing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Do you guys have that approach? Like when you're crafting a joke. I mean, are you using like like theory behind some of the stuff you're doing. Um, I, I don't know the terms that I've, I've heard comedians use, but like, like kind of like misdirection, you know? Yeah. Misdirection. I mean, we definitely use, um, cause that's always a good way to get a laugh beyond that. I wish we could claim like, Oh yeah, now we're real smart guys. We know what we're doing, but I mean, realistically we're just writing what we kind of think is funny and hoping for the best. Um, yeah. That's it. I wish that I wish we had that surgical mind control. It would be button, so awesome you know? though during this call if I just had like a whiteboard of like integrals and equations on it of how we construct jokes. <laughs> it's way more impressive than it was. We always start with an idea and then we just rotate it and do half of it's just like you just fling things at a wall, you try a lot of stuff at open mic and then things sort of congeal into it into a bit. Yeah, I think that's probably how a lot of, you know, people write their jokes. Would you say from your observation though that there's some like just the naturally gifted ones have something that separates them apart from everybody else, but ha they have in common with all the other ones who are naturally gifted. Or is there like one thing that they do that you're like, Oh, okay, well that's why they're so good at this. Like, is it crowd work or is it like what? That's a great question. I mean, we just saw uh, Tom Segura live when we were in Kansas city 
And like the one thing that comes to mind sort of in regards to your question is just how effortless it felt. It never feels like if you look at old school stand-up, say from 50s through the 80s, 90s, it feels like someone's telling you jokes. And it seems like the new wave is story-based and it feels like you're talking to someone over a dinner table and they're part of your family, right? It never, like he's running material at you and you know that at a conscious level, but it feels natural. And I think that's sort of, when I see guys that are really good, I'm not thinking like, oh man, that joke is like a monster joke. I'm like, oh, that's such a relatable experience. He congealed it so well. And it feels like it actually happened. There has to be like a shred of truth for me to really find it funny. You know what I mean? I do. And I think you're exactly right. Like I've been introduced to Segura through Magenta and I, I, I can feel that style and the way you described it exactly. Like I never feel like he's just bombarded me with one-liners. You know, it's like I'm wrapped in the story. I connected. I connect with 99% of the stuff he said or the experience he's describing, and then he just he hits me upside the head with something like, "Oh my god, I never thought of it like that." You know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So you guys have 14 more states and a timeline. Like, are you trying to get through these 14 in the next like month, two months? Like. Yeah, we're actually trying to wrap up by the very end of August. I think August 31st is our goal to be back in Philadelphia. Okay. And then Dan Cresimano, you have a job. And then Dan Gibbons, are you, what are you going to go back to doing? That's the question. I mean, I think I'm just going to keep doing the comedy showcases. I'm not going to really stop doing comedy. It's just we're not going to be trying to go everywhere. Um, second to that, we're just going to be reaching out to companies because besides just stand-up, we also want to get into writing. So if that's for television or film or – sketch whatever we want to be involved in that as well so i'm going to reach out to a lot of people about finding those opportunities in addition to the stand-up i love it yeah magenta has been talking a bit about that as well and uh i think that's a great way to get your foot in the door and and really just you know start living it and eating comedy all day just eat it you know <laughs> can you guys talk to the audience a little bit about the tiers in which you aspire to grow as comedians just because you know you have the open mics it sounds like level one entry point and then you have what showcase is like level two, like kind of when you're, you're getting on showcases, you're more of like a, a figure within that comedy club and the scene. And you guys are chasing showcases only. Like how does that work since you are going into all these cities and you're unknown comedians? It's kind of a really good question. I mean, for me at least, it's like everything else where uh, you just reach out to people and you say, hey, you know, most people are, they're dying for out of city comics because they are all comics and they've heard everyone else's set. And, you know, while everyone is trying new material all the time, it's always good to have someone outside the scene to come in and just either blow the walls off or do terrible. And then you feel really good about your scene. You're like, we are great. Um, so it's, it's basically just reaching out to a bunch of people and trying to get on showcases, Facebook. Um, what else? Just literally Googling the city and comedy you can find an insane amount and just reaching out to hosts is the number one play. And what's your elevator pitch? Like we're two Dan's in a van and we only do showcases or what? We don't really say that. We're more just like, Hey, if there's any stage time, you know, we're going to be here for this week. Do you know of anyone who, you know, has a mic or blah, 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 give us some time. And most people are like, absolutely. We'll pass them the site or the Instagram. And like, Oh, we like your stuff. Come on out to this Tuesday, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
it would be great to just be prima donnas when we go. We only do club shows. <laughs> and then, <laughs> just, you know, we live in a van after the club show. We just walk to the parking lot and sleep there. <laughs> do you guys party? Like, are you guys getting pretty buzzed every night before a set or after a set? No, we're pretty, we're pretty lame, I guess. Not really, because one of us is always going to have to drive. <laughs> so unless it's a weekend and we're stationary and we're all set, then we really don't uh, party that much. Yeah. Um. As far as living situation goes in the van, because I just thought about like if I was super buzzed with my buddy in a van, sleeping, I had to piss at night. Like, are you climbing over each other? Like, are you smack dab right next to each other every single night? <laughs> well, we got it sort of layered up. We got um, almost a bunk bed situation where Dan is up top on a couch and I have a fold out that's on the floor. So if one of us has to pee, basically you just move around and wake the other guy up inadvertently and then pee in a bottle and hope he, he can go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> so gnarly. <laughs> i guess dude yeah i mean that makes sense i've done it before it's just always shot you guys just doing this like you're living it this is what i love about this like conversation because i mean you guys have just literally decided to live it go for it you know and and take responsibility for what you want to do in life and i think that is the coolest thing ever i have, I have so much respect and you guys you inspire me a lot well, it's, it's definitely raw. You know, you see a lot of Instagram people that have this this nice shiny van and they have like a, you know, running water. We have none of that. So we did do the van ourselves, but we are comedians, not carpenters. So it's very just slipshod, slapped together. Uh, we, you know, we just, it's, it's grimy a little bit, but uh, we just get in there and make it work. What about your guys' like diet, like an exercise routine? Are you just kind of throw that to the wind and like you're over it? Well, actually, the exercise is pretty on point because we got a Planet Fitness membership so that we can shower every day. Um, since we don't have running water and a shower in the van, we actually work out and we shower at Planet Fitness all the time. So that's that's all good. The diet, not so much. Yeah, pretty garbage. Pretty garbage diet. Basically, just uh, Panera Bread. And I've, I've eaten everything on Panera Bread's menu right now. Uh, all their soups, fantastic. Shout out Panera Bread. Great stuff. They got a good thing. And then Chipotle. Probably be the number two after that. Um, yeah. Life on the road, gentlemen. That's just, you're living it. Um, yeah, the, the, the time that I've done on the road, I just, I gained so much weight, dude. It just, cause you just give up, right? I mean, I like that planet fitness thing. I think that's a great kind of hack, you know, cause you got the shower mixed in with the opportunity to at least like do a few exercises. Right, right, right. Totally. I feel like also the, you got, you interviewed some dudes last week that the three dudes they're planning it out and then there's like us that are like the nightmare version of the event where it's just us eating chipotle and just farting in an enclosed van (laughs) oh that's gnarly dude do you guys have like an ac that works i mean it's getting hot it's summertime dude i wish uh we don't what we did recently we just uh we put some ice in a tray and blew a fan on it and then just sweated for weeks and weeks this is gonna be the saddest part of this interview right now (laughs) Go after your dreams. We're just buying ice at Walmart and putting it in a bucket and blowing a fan through it. So, yeah. I mean, there's actually some really creative things on YouTube to build a swamp cooler. I mean, it sounds like you're kind of halfway there, like, but there's a few, I think, more parts you could add to make it actually more efficient. Wait, a swamp cooler? Is that what you said? Yeah. Have you ever heard of those? No, but I'm going to Google after this call. Yeah, do it like makeshift or like homemade swamp coolers, dude. And like, I think your mind's going to be blown. <laughs> And it's going to be too cold to even live in that thing. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be the best. 
where this is, you know what? We're going to have to thank you right now already for this swamp cooler invention. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, 14 more states. You're going to be done by the end of August. Life will more or less continue in a comedic sort of way for you both. But then season two you alluded to. I mean, have you guys talked on these long drives together on like – I know you mentioned maybe hitting Europe or something like that. Like, is there a timeline on that? Or are you just going to keep playing it by year? Potentially. I actually just reached out to a German comedian asking about, you know, like what is the, the process like for a stand-up? What is the scene like? Because I was there in 2011. So I really, at that time, wasn't doing any comedy. So just reached out to a guy. I want to hear back because potentially it'd be fun to do stand-up in Germany in German because I don't think there's many Americans that are doing that. So like, that'd be a great foot in the door. And I've also checked like cities like Dusseldorf and Cologne. They have English comedy open mics. So there's definitely scenes that exist over there. Now in Germany, I know about that one. But the rest, I guess we would just have to figure out sort of on the fly. Totally. Yeah, there's got to be expat bars and stuff like that. But I'm interested to dig a little deeper on the uh, you doing stand-up in German. Like are you going to adapt your set so it's more culturally relevant to the things that they're thinking about? Or are you just going to just go and see what happens? I would definitely adapt. What I would do is kind of just skewer the Germans, actually. Just like note my experiences of them and their behaviors and do it in their language. I think it would blow their minds. I, I agree, dude. I think that's that's how you get your Netflix special, dude. That's, that's yeah. yeah, it's kind of the plan. So I'm hoping to hear back from that guy soon and then we can move on from there. But that's sort of the rough outline at this point. That's so cool, gentlemen. I love it. I love what you're doing. Um, can you each take a moment to, to to talk to an individual in the audience who's listening who might want to do the same thing as you um, but doesn't really know how to start, doesn't have the courage to start? Like what would you say to maybe encourage them? Yeah, I mean I was talking to a younger me right before I got this. Uh, basically anyone else who wants to do – there's so many comics you meet that are like, I want to do that. Um, and I think the first step is getting a remote job. I mean, the nuts and bolts of it, obviously follow your passion, but it requires money. And if you don't have a remote job, it's nearly impossible, especially that first year. You're not going to get paid, you know, a living wage doing comedy for a while, I assume. Um, So, yeah, step one, get a remote job. And then, like, kind of doors just open up. Like, you don't really need, you know, the full van to do it. You can take your car out for, like, a four-hour trip and hit, like, a nearby city. And like crash a Walmart parking lot and get a feel for what that's like and kind of dip your toes in the water. Um, but like step two would to be just try things like that. Um, so remote job number one. Step two is like kind of like just traveling and doing stand up around your normal scene. Um, and then you obviously fall in love with that. And then you plunk some money into a beat up old van and eat Chipotle and fart a lot in it. And <laughs> the dream materializes into a nightmare is really what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Rad. Dan, how about you? If I were to work backward from that, so the van seems to be like the, the next conclusion from after you've started stand-up. I just want to go back a little bit because I kind of, it goes back to your question, like what took me so long? I needed stakes to get up there. So I you know signed up for this big show and I told everybody about it so that I had to stay accountable. Because if not, I could just always say, oh, I'll do it eventually. But once I, I drew a line in the sand... And I was like, I'm doing a show on this night. Everybody's coming to watch me. That's when I was like, I have to do it now. So I, if anyone's still like, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm nervous to get up on stage, it's almost like you just got to jump and tell it. It's almost like when you lose weight, anything, you make yourself accountable. You tell people about it, and then you're forced to do it. It's like a metaphorical gun to the head. So I would just say, yeah, if anyone's like, oh, I'm thinking about stand-up, then uh, 
yeah, up to stakes. Get out there. Make your friends watch. And they love it. That's a great answer. I do the same thing with my podcast. I, I tell everyone that I'm doing it, and I feel accountable to them because there's a lot of people listening now. Um, just one more question. I mean, time frame, guys. Like, are, is this you're committed for life? Like, if you don't have a Netflix special by the age of fifty, are you gonna keep doing the uh, showcases or, or what? So that's a tough one to answer. Like, I got into it. The the real thing is like I just like the aspect of writing and performing jokes. Like, there is there is a joy to that, regardless of what fame may come. And and I certainly hope you know every every special on the planet and tour the world. Um, but I just really like it, man. And absolutely would love a Netflix special, but I could definitely see myself doing this for 10 years, 20 years and not be upset without getting one. Do you know what I mean? Like not be just, you know, furious at the world. Like it, it is, you kind of, when you have that like killer bit or whatever, and you do it that first time when you don't know it'll work and you get that first hit of like, holy shit, this is good. That's worth it. Feel I feel a way about that. So yeah, I could definitely see myself doing it for a long time. Rad. You too, Dan. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I if it's not stage performance, it'll be writing or it'll be working in the field of comedy in some way. Like I just love writing and performing, so that's definitely the goal is to just work in that field, no matter in what capacity, whether it's on screen, off screen, on stage, off stage, in some way, be a part of it. Sweet. And then if the audience wants to come check you out, they go to what, 2dcomedy.com and they're going to, or it's the same on Instagram. And what kind of stuff are they going to see? Like your full stand up sets or just life in the van or both? It would do, oh man, um, cut up videos of us doing nonsense with the van, sliced up bits here and there, stand up. It's sort of like we have really two audiences people that care that we do comedy and people that are just curious about what it's like to live in a van. And so the Instagram and the website is sort of a mishmash of that. So half the posts are like what it's like to sleep in a noisy Walmart parking lot. And half the posts are like, check out this new bit that I'm cranking through. Yeah. Go ahead. You finish. Go ahead. This is going to simplify. It's sort of like our website, 2dcomedy.com, is more the written account of what each city in particular was like, the things that we did there. And the Instagram is more the, the photo and video content. So that's how we cover both. Yeah, that's cool. I, I want to ask one more question about I watched, uh, I think it was on Insta, you guys, did you intentionally park in like an airport or something like that? And just like <laughs> the airplanes were going over, you couldn't sleep. Was that what I was seeing? Well, if we ever fly back home, like every eight weeks or so, we usually just make a trip home just to say what's up to the family. And the result is we have to, we leave our van in long-term parking next to the airport. So that was just one of the nights where we just had to sleep next to the airport. Otherwise, obviously we're in a van, we can go anywhere else, but because we're leaving a van there, we were stuck that night. Oh, interesting. So you guys fly home every eight weeks just to catch up with family? Yeah, I would say two, two and a half months, like... You have a remote job. You can sort of do what you want. Take like two months on the road and go home. So it makes it less intense. And so it sucks that I said that. You know what I mean? I should have been like, and then we drive it into the water and we swim to Asia. <laughs> but like that's the real truth. It's like, you know, you spend some time on the road, get a lot of experience, go home, relax, you have a remote gig, and then go back out and do it again. Right. So. Dan Cressamano, how many hours a day are you spending on your business uh, remotely? It's kind of like, you know, a normal nine to five, I would get up, eat, I would go nine to five. And then basically six to midnight would be stand up time. So, yeah. So when you go nine to five, what do you mean? Are you going to a coffee shop to get online or how are you doing that? 
every day Panera Bread. I know the whole soundtrack. I've eaten everything. It's great. You got to try it. It's amazing. Wow. So you literally live at Panera and do your work, and then you do stand up at night. Incredible. That's it. Yeah. Wow, gentlemen, you're awesome. 2dcomedy.com, folks. you got to check them out. Super cool what you guys are doing. Hats off to you. Thank you for joining Misfits and Rejects today. Thank you so Thank much, you, man. Appreciate that. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story again. Such an inspiration. Going out, really just going for it, living in a van together, doing your comedy, developing your craft, pursuing that life of being a comedian is just incredible and so cool to hear and inspires me to continue on as a podcaster and as an online surf instructor and as a digital nomad trying to make his life location independent from a workplace is fuel for my fire to keep going, pushing, and never giving up. Thank you for that. If you like the sound of Misfits and Rejects and you want to get a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, I would be honored if you went to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and picked up a t-shirt. They're super comfortable, lightweight, triple thread, very wearable, comfortable shirts, and it would mean the world to me. If you repped Misfits and Rejects wherever you're at listening to this, I ship internationally, um, all over the United States, Canada. It doesn't matter where you are. You can get a shirt, and it would mean the world to me if you did. So thank you again for listening. I think you all are so very, very beautiful. I hope these stories are inspiring you to take that next step towards that life that you've always dreamed of, whether it's a comedian, whether it's a mountaineer, whether it's a digital nomad like myself, whatever you have secretly always wanted to accomplish in your life. I hope these guys' stories, previous stories that I've had on the podcast – really inspire you to think about your life situation and start moving your life in the direction that you've always dreamed of it going. So thank you again for listening. I look forward to seeing you in next week's episode. Next week, we hear from Caitlin Sendeno, a gold medalist swimmer, who again is just going to blow your mind with her story of commitment, perseverance, and spending her life you know, racing against a clock. Not just the competitors, but racing against a clock, trying to beat her best time. So thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.